So today, uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 20 through 24. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. And what you take in affects what you do. More specifically than that, right? So that's a very generalized statement. What do I mean by it? Well, more specifically, what you watch, what you listen to, what you learn changes the way you live, right? So sometimes it's very subtle things. Uh, sometimes, you know, watching enough uh, enough social media videos or uh, reading enough social media posts you might begin to pick up language that they use, uh, such are the way that right modern modern words, and I'm not going to try and go into them because I've approached the point in my age where for me to use them is somewhat of an embarrassment because I'm not right. I'm not young and hip and cool anymore. Uh, by the way, I was never hip and, or cool, uh, but I was young at one point. So there's that, right? So so sometimes we adopt a new phrase or a new word because of the things we take in. Sometimes it's more than just subtle changes of like a word here or there. Sometimes the changes may be great, right? It, it really does. We learn something and it affects how we live our life. And indeed, isn't that the point of education, right? Isn't that the point? Uh, one of the goals of education, of learning, is to change the way that we live our life, right? It's to give us new philosophies of life. Right? How we are to live our life, how we are to understand things and to apprehend wisdom to change how we live. Uh, or maybe it's just a matter of getting us new skills. Right? Why do we take something like home ec in school, home economics? Right? Why do we take this kind of thing to change how we live? Uh, why should we study uh, the basics of um, you know, how to keep a checkbook, basic financial matters, basic budgeting, because it changes how we live. That's the goal of that kind of education. And this reality holds true in the Christian life as well. If you have truly understood who Christ Jesus is, then it changes your life. Indeed, I want us to see in our passage today that to be in Christ is to be changed to walk in a new way of life. To be in Christ is to be changed to walk in a new way of life. So let's look at our passage today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And this is God's word, and I pray that you receive it as such. So the passage before us today uh, is one of a positive nature of what we looked at the last time in, in the verses before us, uh, in verses uh, 17 through 19. Uh, verses 17 through 19 were uh, a kind of a ne negative way of to say what is said today in a positive way. And what do I mean by negative? I don't mean it's a bad thing. I just mean it's a, it's a do not be like. And so today in our passage, we have a do be like. Right, so it's a positive aspect. Right, in verses 17 and 19, we look at, and it's, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or as the other Gentiles do, or as those who are outside of Christ live. Right, And today we are continuing this line of thinking, but in a different manner. But you are to live like someone. Right, So you're to take off an old and to put on a new. And so that's, that's the kind of line of thinking we'll see today. And the, so that's what I want us to begin with first in, in verses 20 and 21 and see a new way, a new way in verses 20 and 21. 
So Paul begins in verse 20 by, by saying, but that is not the way you learned Christ, right? And this is a contrast. Again, this is a contrast in contrast to those who are outside of Christ and the way they live and the futility of their minds and their alienation from God in their uh, sensuality and greedy, right? What does it say here in verse 19? Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Paul writes that the manner of life of the Gentiles, dead in the trespasses and sins, giving themselves and themselves given over to evil desires, is not what the Ephesians learned about Christ Jesus. Indeed, what do we know about Christ Jesus? 1 Peter 2.22. 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And we could go to many different places. We could look at Hebrews, right? Uh, we could look at many other places where, where the Scripture testifies that Christ was sinless. He was sinless. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a sinner. He didn't sin, and there was no evil found in him. And the Ephesians have learned this about Christ, right? Paul is writing to them. How, why would Paul write to the Ephesians and say, you have learned this about Christ? Because Paul spent a lot of time with the Ephesians, right? He spent a lot of time there. He taught them this. Right? So he knows what they've learned to some degree. So he says, you have not learned this about Christ. And then he continues in verse 21, and he says, he continues writing, assuming that you have heard, or if indeed you have heard. And what's the point of this language? Well, it's this hypothetical that Paul already knows the answer to, right? Just what I've been saying. They have learned differently. And he's saying, assuming, if, assuming you have heard about these things, right? If he knows they have. He already knows what's happened. And indeed, he knows they've been changed by what has happened. Go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? So have they heard about Christ? Have they learned about Christ? Have they been taught Christ Jesus? The answer is yes, they have. They have. So much so that there is evidence that they have, which is the Holy Spirit has been given to them. They have the Holy Spirit, who is a promise, a guarantee, a down payment of their final hope of being uh, redeemed by God from their sins. They have the Spirit of God, which testifies with their spirit that they are the children of God. So indeed, they have heard about Christ. They know about him. Paul knows this. And what's this whole point about then? Well, Paul's writing to them an encouragement. And we'll get to that's the specifics of the encouragement as we go along. But right, they have heard. Right, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, they have heard about him. And they have been taught about him. They know the truth. The gospel of Jesus has gone forth in their midst and it changes everything about them. And right, this is all in contrast to the Gentiles. Back up in verse 18 of chapter 4, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. I'll say dot, dot, dot. Right? They are ignorant. And why are they ignorant? Because they haven't heard and they haven't been taught. And we know ultimately, right, that it's not just ignorance. We looked at that last week. It's not just ignorance. It's just not just education that they need. They need a change of heart because uh, verse 18 continues due to the hardness of their heart, right? They're ignorant because they're alienated from the life of God because of the hardness of their heart. So it's more than that, but it's not less than that either. They need to hear about Jesus. And the Ephesians aren't ignorant. They have heard. 
And let's not forget that this is part of our duty under the Great Commission. Your responsibility, Christian, is this. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Listen closely. Because that's not the period there. It continues. What does Christ say? What does Christ command? Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So part of our going and making disciples is what? Teaching. Instruction. Teaching what? All that Christ has commanded. So the goal of the apostles, the early missionaries, uh, the evangelists, the church planters, the pastor teachers is to teach Christ Jesus. And they are to teach everything that Christ has commanded. And by the way, we show our love of Christ by keeping his commands. And that's John 14, 14. All this to say is that a new way has been taught to the Ephesians, right? So this is, they have not learned of Christ the way of the Gentiles' life outside of Christ. That is one given up to every kind of impurity. One that is given over to sin. It's not the way of the Gentiles who don't know God. They are not to live in ignorance because they know the truth. Paul points all this out because he wants them, he wants the Ephesians, he wants his readers, which includes us today, to live as Jesus lived. Or as he writes to the Colossians, Colossians 2.6, Colossians 2.6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And again, that word walk is this idea of live Live in him. As you have received Jesus, live in him. So what does this look like? Let's consider next in verse 22, an old self. An old self in verse 22. So what what does it look like to live as Jesus lives? Well, the first thing we might say is to put off your old self. Put off that which belongs to your former manner of life. Put off that which is corrupt through deceitful desires. Uh, We'll just comment here for a moment. The King James here, uh, this is a etymology uh, lesson for you all. I love uh, etymology lessons, so you'll have to indulge me here. Is that the King James here uses an old meaning of the word conversation? So if you go back look in the King James version, you're gonna see the word conversation. But it's not about talking. Conversation used to mean the place where one lives or dwells. Not as in talking, right? We we just use that word as it comes to talking. It's actually the place where you live or where you dwell. And we know. All that to say is that we know where where is the dwelling place of the old man? Where is the dwelling place of that which belongs to our former manner of life? What is it like? It's death, right? We know the old man is corrupt, rotting, ruined, dead. And why or how? Through deceitful desires. Unless, notice here that it's not desires per se that is that are wrong, right? It's not that desires are wrong in and of themselves. We can have desires and they can be good desires. The problem is deceitful desires. Sinful desires kill us. The book of James tells us in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, James 1, 14 through 16, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. See, the difficulty with deceitful desires is they lull us into thinking that what they promise is good. Right? That's what the promise of sin is. The promise of sin is, this is good for me. This is pleasing to me. And that's the deceitful nature of sin. If we go back to the very first sin, it's about deceitful desires. Notice this, notice this out of the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis 3, 6. Adam and Eve in the garden, the serpent comes and says to Eve, did God really say, don't you know that if you eat of this tree, you will know, you'll be wise, and you'll be like God. And notice what happens here, Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So do you notice desire there? The woman had desire. The tree was good for food. All right, so we can imagine, by the way, it's not likely an apple. Right? That's how we always see it as an apple. Um, unlikely. But whatever fruit we might imagine, whatever fruit is appealing to us, how about we'll put that? Um, except for, remember, watermelons don't grow in trees. So just as you're picturing this, it's not a watermelon tree. But right, it's, it's a fruit that's on it is good for food. It looks good. It's desirous. You can imagine it was fat and ripe, ready for the picking. Maybe as uh, Eve looked upon it, as Adam looked upon it, they looked and said, ooh, my stomach just growled a little bit. That's good for food. Notice that it was a delight to the eyes. It looked good. right? It wasn't thorny. It wasn't rotten. It wasn't filled with all kinds of black spots like you know how bananas get. There's a point where they get too many uh, black spots on them, even though if you open it up, the banana is perfectly fine and edible and sweet and good. You know that there's a certain point where the peel gets too brown and you say, I'm not going to eat it. I don't care. It looks gross. Right? So this was not that. It was a delight to the eyes. We can even maybe imagine here that there was a gentle breeze carrying the scent of the fruit. And more than that, the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So it's more than just food here. It's more than just the issue of food. It was more than just pleasing uh, than a full stomach. It was for wisdom. That's what the serpent promised to them, right? Sin promised to them that they would be like God. And so desire was born, and gave way to temptation, and temptation gave way to death to sin and death, right? And, and the reality that James points out in his letter is that when desires is stoked, it leads to sin and death. But it doesn't have to be this way. Such is our sin nature, such is your sin nature, that you cannot desire anything long without running into sin. But this is not the way that you learned of Christ. Christ was master over his fleshly desires. What do I mean by that? For instance, after he had been fasting in the wilderness, Satan came to him, and one of the first temptations, right, was, just turn those stones into bread. You're hungry, Jesus. Just make some bread out of the stones. Why not? You can do it, can't you? And Christ, hungry from days of fasting, said no. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we go through maybe hours of fasting and can't say no to anything that comes along in front of us, right? Another example of Christ master over the desires of his body. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane, preparing for the terrors to come as his flesh recoils 
at the thought of the lash of the Romans, the nails being driven through his hands and feet, the, the full terror of the wrath of the Father being born on his human flesh. What did Christ do with his desire to not go through that? He prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will be done, but yours. You, beloved, if indeed you are in Christ, assuming you have heard of him and have been taught in him as the truth is in him, you, beloved, are not a slave to your desires. You're not a slave to deceitful desires. You are set free from the slavery to death. We have to understand this. Go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. I feel like we've been there a lot recently. It's such a, a helpful passage for us when we consider these things. Romans 6, and I want us to look at verses 6 through 12 today. But we have to understand, right, that we are not slaves to our desires. We are not slaves to sin any longer. If you are in Christ, you have died to sin. And you now live to God. That's what the scripture tells us here. Listen to the words of Paul. The words of God through the pen of Paul. Uh, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ. We believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And what's Paul's point in all that? He tells us, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So let's just pause here and confess that our old self, our old man, the former manner of our life, is given over to deceitful desires. Let's just confess today that it is corrupt. Our, our body of flesh outside of the regenerating work of God, is corrupt through deceitful desires. It's not that all desire is wrong, but we live in sinful bodies that lead to, quite quickly, deceitful desires. But we are dead to sin. Our bodies have been killed. They've been crucified with Christ. And if Christ lives, as surely as Christ lives, then we know we will be raised with him. And we are not to obey the passions of the flesh any longer. We say no to them and we say yes to Jesus. And I understand, I, I really do understand that what I'm preaching is easy to say and it's hard to live out. It's easy to say. And we have all experienced moments where we have made such proclamations as this. God, I will never sin in that manner again. I won't do it. You set me free from it. Christ paid the penalty of it. I'm dead to that. I'm not going to sin in that way again. And then we take two steps and sin in the same way that we just said we weren't going to sin again, right? Desires rise, sinful desires rise, selfish impulses rise that, does, that call out to be satisfied. But we know and we may know that such things are death, that such things are the old man, that we've been taught differently in Christ. And so what are we to do? We take off the old man. Right, so for some of you here today, what you need to hear is this call. Some of you are at the point of saying, I don't want to live that way anymore. And I understand that. I confess that. And I strive not to do that. But some of you need to hear this portion 
of Paul's encouragement, which is to say, don't live like the dead Gentiles. Right? Don't live like those who are outside of Christ. That's not what Christ has taught you. That's not what you have learned about Christ. And I'll also say, I, I understand that not all churches teach that either. Some churches teach and say, oh, it doesn't matter how you live, Christian. Follow the desires of your heart. They're good. Go after them. That's not Christ speaking. That's deceitful desire speaking. Amen. So we take off the old man. And we no longer dwell in places of sin, of lusts, of deceitful desires, where we once lived. Right? That's a past tense. We once lived there. We don't live there anymore. There was a place we lived that had the stink of death about it, but we don't live there anymore. If you are in Christ, you are dead to those things, and you moved on to a better city. We are somewhere new, and we are someone new. We have been renewed. So let's consider that next. A renewed mind in verse 23 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 23, a renewed mind. So, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. All right, so the kind of the first encouragement that Paul gives, that's not what you have learned of Christ. What have you learned of Christ? You have been taught that you are to put off the old man. And now we come to the second part. You are to be renewed in your mind. There is a new way for us, brothers and sisters, a new way of life. Indeed, our very minds have changed because we have learned a new way. And yet, while it is true that we have been regenerated and born again by the Holy Spirit, there is still a need to renew our minds today. Now, the reference to spirit here, uh, some modern scholars argue that this reference to spirit is to the Holy Spirit. But that's unlikely, because what qualifies spirit here is of your minds. The, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. It's not the Spirit of your minds. Right? So, so understand that what we are looking at here is not the Holy Spirit. We're looking at our spirit. Uh, that is what is in, inside of us, that which motivates us, our soul, we might say. So... Paul writes and says, you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And this verse sounds kind of familiar to another encouragement of Paul, also from the book of Romans, right? Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right there in Romans, Paul commends, don't be conformed to this world. And doesn't that sound like what we are discussing here, right? Don't be conformed to your old way of life. You've learned something new. And so be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so what does this mean? What, what does it mean to be transformed by the renewal of our mind? Well, it means that we have to unlearn some things. We have to learn some things. And we have to relearn some things. So let's look at those components. The first thing, we have to unlearn. Right? What is Paul, Paul's admonition in Romans? Don't be conformed to this world. What's it here in Ephesians? Don't be conformed to the former manner of your life. Right? The reality is that there is much that we have to unlearn when we come into Christ. When we are saved, we have to unlearn things. Right? We learned a certain way of living in this world. And by the way, this is true no matter how old you were when you were saved. You have been taught things that you have to unlearn. And whether that is right, uh, language that we have to stop using, right? there is language that is used in our world that we have to unlearn. We have to stop saying it because it, doesn't, it is not appropriate. It is not right. For a Christian to speak in such manner. By the way, we'll get into that in the next section of Ephesians 4. For instance, when it talks about verse 25, putting away falsehood, speak truth with your neighbor. 
or uh, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Or uh, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And that word clamor could be shouting, right? Do we learn to shout at one another in anger, in upset in our world? Yes. And we have to unlearn that. There are patterns of thought that are common in our world that are common in the old life that don't belong in our new life. And so we have to change how we even think about things, right? That's part of what adopting a biblical worldview is about. Um, by the way, there are many resources that help us do this. Uh, one, for instance, Al Mohler puts out a podcast, The Briefing. And what's the point of that podcast? He says, I'm, uh, I'm discussing the day's news from a biblical worldview, right? Because we have to unlearn the patterns of thinking that are common in our world, and we have to learn a new way of thinking. And sometimes this is really difficult, right, to unlearn something. We spend years and years and years and years of our life practicing things that we then have to unlearn. I've experienced this in the in the workplace, right? That sometimes you you see, especially as new eyes, fresh eyes coming into a place, you'll see patterns of work being done where you're just like, why are you doing that? That's like, don't you know there's a computer now that can do all that for you? Or don't you know that there's so, so much easier ways to do that? Uh, here's a silly example is... Um, we had copiers one time at my work that didn't uh, didn't sort your copies, so it collated them. So like you know, they would all be five pages would be five pages, but they would just all come out in one stack, and then you had to pull out the five pages, staple, pull out the five pages, staple. Well, now we have fancy copiers that will automatically do that for you. They separate the stacks, and I had a coworker who would take that stack of separated pages, push them all together and then take out five staple, take out five staple. And it's just like, don't you know there's an easier way? <laughs> like, you don't have to do that. It does it for you. <laughs> right? it's, it slices, it, it dices, it makes julienne fries. No. Um, but all that to say, right, we have to unlearn ways of doing things. Right? That's a silly example. But we have to realize that that's true of our Christian life. Because uh, we may have spent decades practicing a sin practicing sinful thoughts. Here, here's one that may be common to us. It's common to my generation. We may have learned years of anxious thoughts, worrying thoughts, thinking in that manner. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And when we come to Christ, we have to unlearn anxiety. We have to unlearn the anxiety of this age. Because Christ calls us to stop and to unlearn that pattern of life. And again, I'm not saying this is easy, but this is what we are called to do. And if this is you, if you're mired in the midst of deceitful desires that seems impossible for you to change, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Unlearn the old way of life and learn a new way and relearn a new way. So unlearn. The second is learn. We have to learn. It's not enough to try and stop a bad habit, by the way. That typically doesn't work. If you, just, if you have a bad habit and you're trying to stop it, just, just force a will is not going to do it. Uh, force a will is not going to do it, and unforce a will is not going to do it if you're not in Christ. right? But if you're trying to stop doing something, it often doesn't work to just stop it. Why? Because you still have the desire. right? You still have the hook in you that's pulling you in that direction. And what we need is a new way of life. We need to learn Christ's way. We need to seek the Lord Jesus because God gives us new desires, right? When he gives us a new heart, when he gives us a heart of flesh, as is promised under the new covenant, we get new affections, new loves. And so we replace the old dead thing with the new living thing. We need to be renewed in our minds. How do we do this? Right, here's a number of ways. Take one, run with it. Take all of them, run with it. But first we could start with we read the Bible. How do we learn new ways of living as Christ commands us? Read 
your Bible every day. Go to it first before you go to Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. Go to it frequently. So more than just once in a day. And by the way, if this is difficult for you, if the thought of this is difficult for you, stop starting in the book of Numbers. Okay, I'm not downplaying the, the good that you can find in the book of Numbers. But if that's where you're starting, you are going to be disheartened, right? When you start going through and, and literally talking about the numbers of the people and this person begat this person, that's hard for us to, to wrestle with, right? So w- what I'm saying, start with Jesus. Go read through the Gospels. Go read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reread them. And learn about who Jesus is. Learn Jesus' words. And learn about his heart for the poor, the blind, the lame, and the sick. Learn about his heart for sinners. And his compassion and his mercy upon them. So, read your Bibles. Memorize your Bible. Commit the word to your heart. Sometimes we need to learn by memorizing And then when those old desires crop up, we use the new thing we've learned to supplant them. So, for instance, here's a list for you. These are not the only verses you could study about these things or memorize, but I'm just going to give you some examples here. So you struggle with lust. How about this? Memorize Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let the old lust fade. And the new desire for God and his presence and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore rise. Learn that. right? Memorize it. Here's the thing. You're angry. You struggle with anger. That's your old life is anger. Unlearn it and learn this. Memorize this. We'll see it in our own passage here, Lord willing, next week. Uh, Verses 26 and 27 of, of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Memorize it. And when anger rises within you, call it to mind and say, Oh, I might be able to be angry. If I do get angry, and we'll talk about this is not a command to be angry. This is if you are angry, if you do get angry, because it happens. But I can't sin here. I'm not going to give opportunity for the devil here. Listen, you doubt. You, you struggle with doubt. Uh, go for 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You struggle with gluttony or vanity. Luke 12, 23. By the way, you could also use this one for anxiety, but I got a different one there. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Or you struggle with gluttony, go back to... Uh, you could look at Jesus. The, 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 my food is the, to do the will of my Father. Nor man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You struggle with fear. Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10. Memorize this. If you're fearful, memorize this. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or we could go back to the book of Joshua, which is reiterated in the book of Hebrews. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And hear that encouragement. Memorize it. Anxiety. Again, there are many places we could go for this, but here's just one. 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So memorize it. And when you're anxious, 
cast them upon God and trust that He cares for you. He cares for you. So memorize. Read the Word. Memorize the Word. Learn from other faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and be encouraged by them. So how do you learn new things about Christ? How do you learn how you're supposed to live? Pick up a good, faithful, solid resource in writing and read it. We can learn from it. Start with the Bible, though. Start with the Bible. But look at some of these other readings, these other writings. You can do this in books of old. But also learn from your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. You should be part of a church fellowship. Meet together. Pick up the Bible and encourage one another. Say things like, you know what I learned about God this week? You know what I learned in my reading this week? Do that. Talk about the scriptures and about what you're learning with one another. And then uh, uh, how else do you learn? How else do you learn to put on this new self? How do you be renewed in the spirit of your minds? Ask God. And I'm going to go here and again and again. It's probably because I need to hear it and I'm slow to slow to hear sometimes. Okay, so James 4 tells us you do not have because you do not ask. Ask God. God, renew my mind. God, give me new desires for a new way of life. Ask him for help and not being conformed to this world. And when you undertake any of the above, ask him when you do those things. God, God, as I come to your word, renew my mind this morning. God, as I memorize this verse, as I practice it, renew my mind with this verse. God, as we meet together as a church fellowship, renew my mind. I mean to learn new things about Christ. How do we renew our mind? We, we learn about Jesus. And we see Christ, and it's not a fool's errand, right? Because it will change our lives. So we unlearn, we learn, and then we also relearn, okay? We relearn. We need to relearn these things. Sometimes we need to relearn the elements, the elementary aspects of the faith, right? We've read the Gospel of Mark before. What else are we going to get out of it? Plenty. You may have studied the Gospel of Mark. You may have preached the Gospel of Mark. But you need to go back to it. You need to relearn. There are things that we forget. And there are things that we need to be reminded of. Uh, I love that. In some of the New Testament letters, uh, the author will write something like, I wrote this to you to remind you of all these things. I think Peter writes that in in maybe his second letter. He said, I'm not going to be around very much longer But I'm writing this to remind you that you may call these things to mind when you need them. We need to relearn. Sometimes we need to wake up and remind ourselves in the morning. I'm a child of God. I've been called out of an old way of life and into a new way of life. I've been taught who Christ is. I have heard about him. I have learned from him. He is the truth. God, conform me to Christ this day. Sometimes we need to preach the gospel to ourselves because we forget. Because sin and Satan seek to make us forget. And if you have been bought by the blood of Christ, brothers and sisters, you have been changed. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. We need to, be, we need to relearn this, okay? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. By that way, here's an idea how how you can renew your minds. Go read and reread and re-re-re-read Romans 8 every day for a month. Study it and restudy and memorize it. Do something with it every day and relearn it. 
Because if you're in Christ, it will help you renew your mind. Because we have a new self. And that's what I see what I want us to consider last year in our passage in verse 24 of Ephesians 4. We have a new self. Right, so we put off our old self, we renew our minds, and we put on the new self. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We take off our old self, we put on the new self. This is the Christian life. This is what we are taught in Christ. Take off the old self, put on the new self. And what's the new self like? Well, it's created after God. Right? This is the power of God and salvation, that he takes a dead man and gives him life. He takes a bunch of sun-bleached bones and fits it with skin, ligaments, organs, flesh, gives it life. So let's ask again, why do Christians do some things and not other things? Why do Christians live differently than the rest of the world because they are new because they have been born again because they have been regenerated because they have been changed and realize that beloved of all the things that you are in Christ you are changed you are changed you are new you're a new man or a new woman you are not who you once were. You are different. Salvation changes a man or a woman. It does something to them. So consequently here, I'll just pause and point out. If there is no change, if there is no new, if there is no difference between you and the rest of the world, you really need to go and consider, am I saved? I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to fill you full of guilt, fear, or anxiety. But I do say that for the good of your souls. Because to be in Christ, the scripture tells us, right? This is not, this is not Dale's thoughts. This is what the scripture here tells us, right? If you are, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, you will live differently. Not you might live differently. You will live differently. You must live differently, right? Because you are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And let me repeat that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But what's the new creation like? Well, Paul tells us here in Ephesians 4, verse 24, that it's created after God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It's grounded in the truth. And it's righteous and holiness. And let me pause here and say, righteousness here is not about our justification. right? It's not about our salvation. Righteousness here is the virtue. It's saying that we are righteous like God is righteous. And we are holy as God is holy. And one commentator points out that these two stand in, in right, summary of all virtue. In other words, you, Christian, are created... In, in God, right? And you are made to be like Christ is. And what is Christ like? Righteous and holy. Because he's the perfect image. He's the perfect image. He's the exact nature. The same imprint as God the Father. Right? So that's who we are created to be like. We are created in Christ to be virtuous. We become as Christ is, as God the Father is, as the Spirit is. Your new nature in Christ, in summary, is right thinking, 
right speaking, right living. That's what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ is to be changed, to walk in a new way of life. So what have you learned of Christ? What was his earthly life like? Right? So, so here's one way that we can examine what Paul means here. What was his earthly life like? Well, the scripture tells us many things about Christ. He was compassionate. He, he alleviated the pains, the illnesses, the sufferings of the needy. Christ was patient, right? long-suffering. Christ was dedicated to the work of God. Christ was humble. Christ came as a servant. He taught the truth. Right? Christ taught the truth. And he never compromised the truth. He never compromised the truth. And he loved. Christ loved. Christ loved you, beloved in Christ. And God has not saved you so that you can continue on in deceitful desires. He has not changed you that you may remain dead, wallowing in the sink of death. There must be a stark contrast between the Gentiles and the believer. You are called out of a life of sin and into a life of righteousness and holiness of the truth. And if you have believed the truth, if you have known it, what does Christ say? The truth will set you free. That's the promise of Christ. So the verses before our passage in verses 17 and 19 of Ephesians 4, we might characterize that passage as don't be like. But what we have here in our passage is the positive form of that. Do be like. So don't be like the Gentiles, but do be like Christ. Be like Christ, brothers and sisters. And by the way, that's work, and it's difficult work. But the work is already done. And no, I'm not talking in circles. What I mean is that God has in your salvation changed you, and yet, as Paul points out here, there is still yet a working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, that's from Philippians. We are to strive for holiness, and yet that holiness is ours in Christ. Both these things are true at the same time. To deny that, to deny that we need to flee from sin and we need to seek to live like Christ is to deny the truth of the scriptures. So listen carefully here. Listen to this. None of this, none of this, None of what Paul is writing and none of what I am saying is about earning your way to heaven. You cannot earn your salvation. You are saved by grace alone. You are saved by the kindness and mercy of God alone. But if you are saved, you should be changed. You should live differently. If you have true, truly learned Christ, you cannot continue to live in the old way of life. This bears on us as a church fellowship. Because what we teach about Jesus matters. What we preach matters. And so for you, church member, it's incumbent upon you to ensure that we're teaching Christ. That we're teaching Jesus. Because, by the way, that's not true in every church. That's not true in every church. Some men stand up and preach, not God, not the Scripture, but whatever fancy thought they had in their head that week. And that's probably a, a, the nicest way I can say that. We realize that. We have to realize that. So this bears on us. Because notice in the passage here, right? It says, that is not the way you learn Christ, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
And we have that responsibility today to teach Christ, to teach all that he has commanded us. The Great Commission is not give someone a set of facts and make them assent to them. That's not salvation. It's making disciples. It's teaching. By the way, a disciple is a student. They're learning something, right? They're being taught something and they're learning something. We have that responsibility for us today. And understand this too is your responsibility, parents. You have a responsibility to your children. What you teach your children matters. What they see in you, the ways you speak, what you do is teaching them something. Right? There's that lovely age that every child goes through where they mimic everything their parent says and does. And sometimes that's to our embarrassment, right? As parents. So are you training them up in the way that they should go? Do they see in you Christ? And on all this, I'm not talking about perfection for you as parents, right? I'm talking about do they see a marked difference? Are you different than the world around you? And maybe they may even call you, well, you're strange. You're different. Can they tell that you have been changed by Jesus? And here's the reality that some of you need to wrestle with because you may say of yourself, well, I'm a pretty good person. Compared to others around me, I'm not bad, right? I, I do pretty good compared to others around me. But here's the reality. The standard by which you are measured is not the one that you set. It's not the one that is set by the world around you. It's set by Christ. How you are measured and how you will be measured when you stand before God on the day of judgment is not, I've been faithful to myself. I've been better than those around me. It's have you met the standard of God. Do you meet God's standard? Do you think like he thinks? Do you speak like he speaks? Do you live the way Jesus lived? Your Christianity doesn't mean much if it doesn't look like Jesus. And every time you fail, uh, fail to live up to God's standard, right? that's what sin is. And what does sin get? Scripture is clear. Death. Death. Sin deserves the penalty of death, and that penalty will be met out. And if at this point you say, well, that's an impossible standard. I can't, there's no way that I could live up to God's standard. That's the point. That's the point. You're right. Because for man, this is impossible. It's impossible for us because we are corrupted by sin. It's in our nature. Every desire of ours starts, may start out very good and wholesome, but how quickly it turns sour, how quickly it is twisted by our sinful nature. That's why James writes what he does in his letter. There is no hope for us in us, but there is hope in Christ Jesus because he lived the perfect, righteous, holy standard of God. He lived that out. He never sinned. And he bore the wrath of God on the cross to pay the penalty of his people's sins. Jesus, our Lord, Romans 5, 4.25 says, Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He rose from the grave to defeat sin and death. He thwarted Satan's plan to plunge the entirety of humanity into the pit with him. The Father ordained salvation, the Son accomplished it, and the Spirit applies it. So what does it take to be saved? Is this about striving for protection? Is this what Paul is writing at here? Don't you know about Christ? You have to be perfect like he is perfect, and if you don't measure up, you're dead. It's not what Paul is writing. Who's he writing to? He's writing to those who have already been changed by the grace of God. He's writing to the saints, those who have already been saved. So what does it take to be saved? Not perfection, but trust in Christ. 
You have to believe in him. You have to believe that he did what he said he did. And he, uh, what he said is true. And if you trust in Christ, your sins are paid for by him. And he gives you his righteousness. And so when you stand before God on the day of judgment, listen to this. This is you, believer. When you stand before God on the day of judgment, God will not look at you, believer, and see your failings, your sin. You'll see Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, Christ's blamelessness. Praise God for that. And so repent of your sins, turn from them, and turn to Christ, turn to God. And then do what Paul here tells the Ephesians. Learn about Christ. Put off the old man with his deceitful desires. Be renewed in your mind and put on the new man that is created after God. Being in Christ changes you. So live changed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Father God, we words really do fail to capture the fullness of the thanksgiving of our hearts because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And even Lord God, as you call us and command us to live differently, because of Christ, you don't just leave it to us to figure it out, but you give us your Holy Spirit who regenerates and renews us. You give everything that we need for life and godliness. You give us your spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. And when we fail you, when we turn from you, you discipline us and call us back to you. Father God, we thank you for the work of Christ. God, we thank you for your faithfulness unto us, a people we confess who are too often unfaithful to you. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for living like the world lives. Forgive us for not being distinct. Forgive us for not renewing our mind and being renewed in our mind. Father God, forgive us for not walking in the righteousness and holiness that you've created in us in Christ. And Lord, help us. Give us strength, we pray. Father God, renew our minds. Even in this moment, Lord God, renew our minds. Put it within us, uh, this, your scripture, your word. Help us in the week ahead that we may live in accord with your righteousness. Father God, uh, help us in the anxieties and fears of our mind. When we fail you, we, we think that you will uh, destroy us forever, blot us out because such is our, our, our fears and anxieties. But Father, let us see Christ on the cross, crucified, knowing that our sins are paid for in full. Not as license to continue to sin, but as recognition that there remains no more sacrifice for sin because it is meant once and forever in Christ. Father, help us to bear these things in mind. Renew our minds. Let us understand who you are and let us walk in holiness in distinction to this world around us, Father, as a testimony to you and your work and to the glories and the beauty of Christ Jesus. Father God, may other people see a difference in us, not because we're good people, but because you're a good God. And let us give you all the praise and glory and honor. And Father, we do pray for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Father, we pray for those who call themselves Christians who are dead in their sins and trespasses, who, who have a demographic checkbox of Christianity, but who don't live like Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord, that sin would no longer deceive them, 
that Satan would be cast away from them, that the blindness of their eyes may be revealed. And Lord, that they would have the spirit, your spirit, O God, to understand these things, to understand your word and to confess their need for Christ. Father, save many, we pray. Father, have mercy on those who do not know you and those who think they know you, but are workers of lawlessness. Father God, have mercy upon us. If that is us this morning, Father, we pray for your grace to know and to understand Christ. Father, give us Christ. Fill us with Christ. We pray for the glory of you, O God, and for our good, all these things. In the name of he who is your only begotten Son, he who is our risen Savior and Lord, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he who is to come again, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.